Today on Walk in Truth, Pastor Michael continues his message titled, A Fallen Hero, as he picks up in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Would you turn to Isaiah chapter 5 in your Bible? Isaiah 5. This is what I think of when I think of the culture of the time. There's nothing new under the sun, and it's kind of like our culture. We seem to be confused over things that shouldn't be that confusing. But here's Isaiah 5. Look at verse 20. God is speaking to the nation of Israel, and he says these words, Isaiah 5, verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, Isaiah 5, 20. Notice there's a woe pronounced on them. That's an expression of sympathy mixed with anticipation of judgment. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those, Isaiah 5.21, who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. You could write Herod's name there or Herodias' name there. Woe to those who are heroes in what? In drinking wine. And valiant men in mixing strong drink. Uh, Who justify the wicked for a bribe. Can't help but think of the king of Herod. Take away the rights of the ones who are in the right. Therefore, as a tongue of fire consumes stubble and dry grass collapses into the flame, so their root will become like rot and their blossom blow away as dust. For they, notice, have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. Turn back to Mark chapter 6. These issues were not hard to figure out I think in his heart of hearts, Herod knew what he had done was wrong. But there he was, living in this lifestyle, and the prophet reminded him. He said, it's not right. What you're doing is just flat out wrong. And Herodias, Mark 6, 19, that's the wife that he stole away, had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death and could not do so. Now the story kind of shifts, and you can see John, and he's calling this this political couple out, and he's saying it's wrong, what you're doing is wrong, and the wife began to hold a grudge against John. She was not happy. She hated what he stood for and hated the fact that he had called them out. The only place, one writer says, where Herodias' marriage certificate could be safely written, in her view, was on the back of the death certificate of John. She didn't want to hear his voice anymore. And that's what a lot of people in our culture are doing. They want to silence the voices of opposition. If you don't approve with what they're doing, they want to silence you. They they don't want you to have a microphone. They don't want a debate. They just want you marginalized. I hope you see it, friends. That's what's happening in our culture today. And so she held this grudge. And I want to show you one more Old Testament passage that's interesting. It's in Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, go to chapter 19. So here she is nursing this grudge, Leviticus 19. 
She's breaking the law of God, and I'll show you which one. Here it is, Leviticus 19, verse 18. It says these words. You shall not take vengeance, Leviticus 19.18. I hear Bible pages. It's music to my ears. It's wonderful that you guys are turning. Are you there? Okay. Leviticus 19.18. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the sons of your people, but you shall, what's your Bible say? Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now, everybody just park for a second and listen to what I just want to fill in the blank. And I think you guys are seeing this. This is one of the two great commandments. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. You show what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Would you notice that this is the verse that Jesus is quoting when he gives that combination answer And the verse includes not taking vengeance or what? Bearing a grudge against the sons of your people. Turn back to Mark chapter 6. Are you bearing a grudge against someone? You know, it's a dangerous thing when you nurse a grudge, when you don't deal with it, when you don't give it to God, when you sit there and nurse it. The Hebrew word for grudge is natar, It means to guard or cherish your anger. A grudge means to guard or cherish your anger. Is that you? Are you sitting here this morning and you are nursing a grudge? In fact, there's some weird delight that you take in it. Are you nursing it? Cherishing it? You don't want to let it go. And you may have good reason to have a grudge. I mean, there's a lot of injustice that happens in our world but one writer said when you nurse anger and you think about it and you you kind of you know you sit almost like a feast you know uh, uh, eating letting it eat at you and eating away and and so forth the skeleton at the feast becomes you you end up eating yourself up when you nurse a grudge and that is what was happening to Herodias She hated John. She was breaking the law of God. And John was taken into custody, and she wanted to put him to death because of this grudge that she had against John. Herodias. This is the wife. This is the story. For Herod, look at verse 20, Mark 6. She had the grudge. She wanted to put him to death, but she could not do so. And here's why. For Herod was afraid of John, Mark 6, 20. Isn't it interesting how goodness is terrifying to evil people. They're just terrified. They they meet a moral person and it's so different from the world that they're used to, it freaks them out. Here's Here's Herod, the king, and he's afraid of this holy man. He's afraid so much so that his wife keeps saying, kill him, and Herod keeps saying, no, no, he's holy man. We cannot. And Herod was afraid of John, knowing, verse 20, that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. (laughs) Here, the irony is safe from his wife. And when he heard him, notice, he was very perplexed, but he used to enjoy listening to him. It sounds like Herod would often go down into into the dungeon, perhaps bring an extra piece of bread, say, John, tell me a little bit more. And John might have been in his shackles and What was John's message down in the dungeon? The same that it was in the wilderness. Herod, 
repent. It's not right for you to have her as a wife. And Herod would just look at John like, wow, dude, really? <laughs> That's right. I think he was preaching the same message in the dungeon that he preached in the desert. He was consistent. John MacArthur says, just as John was fearful of nothing and no one except God, Herod feared almost everything and everyone except God. Close quote. What you fear really matters. And John didn't fear anybody, including the king. Obviously, he wouldn't have said anything had he feared him when he was free. And now even in the dungeon, I'm sure John was preaching repentance and faith in the Messiah. And Herod kind of enjoyed listening to him. You know, there's some people in our world, they kind of enjoy going to church. It's kind of interesting for them. They're not Christians. I, one day I was helping this young man. He was trying to make the high school baseball team. And we had gone to this uh, park and I was hitting him baseballs and he was trying to get ready for this tryout. So I kept hitting him these baseballs. And out in the distance, like way beyond center field, there was a guy out there and he was doing some of those karate moves. He was like, and he was doing this weird breathing. And he was, and he was just like, what in the world is this dude doing, right? So finally, you know, this the kid was not that great at baseball at the time, and he had not played Little League very much, and so he had missed a lot of the ball. So they were out uh, next to this guy doing his stuff, right? So we went out there, and I said, how you doing today? And he was like, I'm doing all right. <laughs> I'm like, whoa. I go, what are you doing out here? And he goes, well, I just like to get in touch with nature and the trees and everything. And I'm like, wow, really? Yeah, I like the energy, he said. Oh, I said, what do you uh, believe about Jesus Christ? Oh, I believe he is a great one, but just many great, well, great prophets, and he's still doing his moves, right? And he goes, I, I, in fact, I even like to go to church sometimes because I like the energy there. I said, but what do you think of Jesus? You know, he was a good one, one of many wayshores. And I said, but Jesus said he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through him. And he <laughs> looked at me. <laughs> What? Yeah, that's what Jesus said, sir. Oh, I don't know. That's your No, that's not my opinion. That's what Jesus said, sir. Oh, our conversation changed a little bit. See, this is kind of what happens. Some people they come and they they find it kind of interesting. Whoa, these Look at these Christians. Do you know today they're even starting atheist churches? Did you know that? They sing songs and they have people do talks. It's everything we do except one thing is missing. God! One of their hymns is, No one loves me, this I know. <laughs> what in the world? And so Herod would go down and he would listen to this fiery preacher and he was... He enjoyed listening to him. And he came away, here's what your Bible says, perplexed. What? Yeah. He was, the word in the NIV is he was puzzled. Intrigued, but puzzled. I wonder how close on some of these occasions Herod came to belief in the God of the Bible. I wonder, I wonder if John got to his heart and, and he went, wow. I think I believe what... Ah, oh, no, no, no. Puzzled, fearful, intrigued. 
I hope that's not you. I hope you haven't been sitting in a church for years and you're just intrigued. Now, you could say that you walk away from my sermons puzzled and I would totally understand that. (laughs) But anyway. Do you want to be able to defend your faith, what you believe in, why you believe it? We've tackled subjects like Jehovah's Witnesses, the origins of Christmas. In honor of the 500th year of the Reformation, we did a two-part message on Sola Scriptura. Is the Bible alone sufficient? Is it our highest authority? Scientology, intriguing topics that are available on the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. There'll be more to come, more exciting things to come. And so here's Herod. At the end of Herod's life, because Jesus was in Herod's jurisdiction, Pilate sent Jesus to Herod. And Herod was longing to see Jesus. He just couldn't wait. I mean, after all, he thought Jesus might be John risen from the dead and all of that. So he had a chance to see Jesus. This is recorded in the book of Luke. It's chapter 23, verse 8, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad and he wanted to see him for a long time because he had been hearing about him and he was longing to see some sign performed by him. Now the Bible says John performed no signs. We have no record of a miracle done by John the Baptist, but Herod had heard that Jesus did signs like feeding the 5,000 and healing people. So he wanted to see a sign. So finally when Jesus showed up, he said, all right, Jesus, maybe John, I don't know, but hey, do a sign. All right, here we go. Go ahead. Nothing. Hey, uh, so uh, tell me about your ministry and what's going on and nothing. He wouldn't even speak one word to him. Herod never got to hear the voice of the Son of God and the end of that text says that Herod along with his soldiers mocked Jesus. He questioned him at some length. Luke 23, 9, Jesus answered him nothing and then he mocked Jesus He put a royal robe on him and sent him back to Pilate. The last thing he did with Jesus is mocked him. Wow. And a strategic day came, Mark 6, 21. Finally, the opportune time came, and this is in the eyes of Herodias, the wife, when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his lords and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias herself came in and danced, so this is the queen's daughter, Josephus tells tells us her name was Salome. She came in and danced. She pleased Herod and his dinner guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you want and I will give it to you. So Herod had this party. They would call them stag parties back in the day. If you want to get your arms around this, it's kind of like a debauched bachelor party. And this is what was going on. And Herod had his buddies there, all the leading men, all the commanders, all the big wigs. And it was his birthday as well. And he gave the party for the people. And normally what would happen is that they would have dancers here. And I won't get into the gruesome details, but the dancers, you know, they had a job to do. And they were professionals. And this is what they did at these parties. And so something unusual happened at this party. The daughter of the queen came and danced. And it was unheard of in this society for someone of this rank to do this thing. And this wasn't just a dance. It was a dance, if you know what I mean. And she came out and did this. And it is clear that Salome did this at the prodding of mom. Mom saw this as a strategic moment. She knew that he would be drinking. She knew that he would have his buddies around. And she knew him well enough to know that if he was pleased in this way, he might make an offer 
And she had set the whole thing up. She's almost like a New Testament Jezebel, you know, plotting and scheming and biding her time. And finally, she saw this opportune time and she had set this whole thing up and out came the daughter. And she did a seductive dance and Herod was pleased. And so he makes this offer. He says, ask me, ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. Another gospel says, up to half my kingdom. I'm so pleased with what you've done. He swore to her, whatever you ask of me, I will give you, there it is, up to half of my kingdom. And Matthew 14, 7 says he promised it with an oath. And in the ancient world, if you made an oath like this, especially as a political leader, it was very important. Up to half my kingdom, ask me. And she went out, ran out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for, mommy? What shall I ask for? By the way, at this time, from what we understand in, in history, she's about a mid-teenager. So she comes out, does this dance. Herod makes this oath in front of all of his buddies, a drunken oath. And she goes, what should I ask him for, mom? So apparently the whole plan was not shared with the daughter. And she said, the head of John the Baptist. So the girl knew mom's plan, but didn't know how low the plan would go. Matthew 14 and 8 says, having been prompted by her mother, she said, give me here and this is added by the daughter, on a platter, the head of John the Baptist. Isn't it amazing how low people can sink? Do you ever just step back and look at something that's going on or look at a story in your Bible and go, how did they get there? How does someone get to that point where they will use their own child to manipulate a situation to get someone killed? Well, that's what's here. And so immediately she came, she hurried, she came in haste, 25, before the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me right away the head of John the Baptist on a platter. How many levels of sorrow must have moved through Herod's being, his own stupidity? I wonder if he just sobered up in the moment. He obviously now saw his wife's manipulation. His own, at least his stepdaughter, did the dance, and that was all wrong. And now he's in quite a dilemma. Never could he have imagined. He might have thought she'd asked for a new chariot or perhaps a new dress. But what did she, what did she say? I want the head of that prophet on a platter now put yourself in the king's sandals what all of a sudden the party's not as much fun anymore all of a sudden i'm sure there's a soberness in the air and although the king was very sorry the idea is he was grieved here in fact the distress that the king is Feeling is only used in one other place in the Greek in Mark 14.34 for the distress that Jesus was feeling as he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. If you read Luke's version of that, many scholars believe the pressure was so intense that tiny capillaries were bursting under Jesus' skin as he perhaps bled out of his skin or out of his sweat, if you will. That's the kind of distress the king was in. 
He was fearful of John. He was puzzled by him, but he enjoyed listening to him. He knew he was holy. He knew he was righteous, and he kept him down there, protected him from his wife. But now the wife, she had snuck in there, and he was grieved. Yet because of his oaths and because of his dinner guest, ended of 26, he was unwilling to refuse her. Be careful what oaths you make in a moment of time. They might come back to haunt you. In fact, if you just pause with me for a second and understand that this story is looking back on the death of John the Baptist, Herod has been haunted ever since this occasion. In fact, he walks around his house apparently day and night and says, John whom I beheaded has risen. John whom I beheaded has risen. It haunts him day and night. And all because he was manipulated and I would say Herod sold his soul. He knew better. He had light and truth. The man who said, you know what, I'm not the light, but, I, but he had, uh, John 1, he had come to bear witness of the light. The man who was light in the dungeon to Herod, now Herod must snuff him out. He must suppress the truth and kill John for no good reason. And immediately the king, 27, sent an executioner and commanded him to bring back his head. And he went and had him beheaded in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. This is the daughter. And the girl gave it to her mother. I'm sorry to gross you out here. I know this is a family Sunday. (laughs) But this is our Bible, you guys. This is in the Gospels. This is what happened. And the daughter took the platter, the head, Brought it to her mother. Was it something like this? Mommy, aren't you proud of me? Are you kidding me? What a gruesome, terrible scene. And so it was given to the mother. And there's the story. When his disciples, 29, heard about this, they came and took away his body and laid it in a tomb. Let's just reflect as we close. Where do you find yourself in the story? Do you see yourself in one of these characters? I hope that maybe you can see yourself as one of the the righteous ones in this story. The fear and fate of Herod and Pilate is quite interesting. Um, This is Herod. He feared another attack by Aretas, Um, part of the reason this happened was because he had stolen uh, a wife away and so forth. And as Josephus reported, he feared a rebellion by his own people inspired and perhaps even led by John the Baptist. This is what he feared. This is Herod. Herod feared the emperor might replace him with someone uh, in more favor with Rome. That fear was well-grounded because some years after this, his jealous and scheming nephew named Agrippa, the brother of Herodias, convinced the emperor Caligula that Herod was planning a rebellion. Perhaps because Caligula did not fully trust Agrippa's word, Herod and Herodias, husband and wife, in AD 39, about six years after this account, were exiled to Gaul in modern France rather than execution, which was normally the penalty for treason. Then they moved to Spain where they died. I'm going to give you a little bit about Pilate because Pilate and Herod had a chance to try Jesus, if you will, in a, uh, 
court scene. Although Pilate's later history is shrouded in some mystery, Eusebius, an early church historian, reports that Pilate was exiled to the city of Vienna on the Rhone in Gaul, France, same uh, basic area, where he eventually committed suicide. How tragic. Apparently, just a few years after this encounter with Jesus, Pilate committed suicide and entered into eternity. Now step back just for a second and look at these two leaders. Here's Herod. He got to hear the greatest preacher perhaps that ever lived, lived John the Baptist. He, got, he had the living truth, Jesus Christ, stand right in front of him. And all he could do was mock him and send him away. And what you do with Jesus is what really matters in this life. And this room is filled with a lot of Christians and so then the question becomes, are you willing to preach the hope that he brings? You look at people in these kinds of positions, and sometimes we're envious of what they have. Like, oh, wow, just a, if I could have someone fan me and feed me grapes, that would be awesome if I could wear a crown. Wow. And then you look behind the scenes and you see Herod. He's troubled his whole life. He was afraid of everything because he did not fear God. When you think about great men in the Bible, John the Baptist is at the top of my list. And what made John great is that he was set apart unto God. He was that voice crying in the wilderness. And he wasn't afraid to speak the truth and even speak it to the king. And of course, you know, John paid a huge price for that. But John was not living just for this present age, just for time. He was considering the true kingdom that he was living for. He was making decisions in light of eternity. And I have a question for you. It's just a very simple question at the close of this particular message, and it's this. What king and kingdom are you living for? That will impact your decision-making. You know, there's a quote that was shared in this message that, you know, Herod the king was pretty much afraid of everything, except he really didn't fear God. And John the Baptist didn't seem to be afraid of anything because he feared God. And you know what? There's a lot of fearful people around and we tend to fear the wrong thing. But look, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. If you fear God in the biblical sense of reverence and awe and making sure that he's the first one that you wanna please, everything in your life will fall into place. Another way to say it is if you love God first, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then you will love the way that you're supposed to love as well, and your life will be in order. Jesus put it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added unto you. Hey, John the Baptist was a great man of God, and you know what? You are alive right now. You've been called for a purpose to live for God's kingdom. Whatever God's called you to do and to be, be faithful to it and carry it out for his glory and by his power. This is Walk in Truth Radio. This is Pastor Michael Lance. So glad that you're listening. And I just want to ask you a question. Do you know Jesus Christ? Have you met the King? Are you serving him? If you've not met him, get to know him. Receive him as your Lord and Savior today. Don't let another day go by. And if you're not serving him, if you're just a churchgoer, quote unquote, and you're not doing anything in ministry, can I just exhort you in this new year ahead of us that you would you would get in the game, that you would get off the bench and get in the game and serve the King. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.